0: Hello podcast listeners. Today, beautiful day outside and happy Memorial Day for those of you who live in the United States. Hopefully we can honor those veterans who served our country and been able to allow us to have the freedoms that we currently have right now. That being said, we're going to be able to talk a little bit today about the continuing with the story of what's happening with the baby formula shortage and how Wreck-It is tightening its grip on the current market for it right now are then going to be able to be talking about how the SEC is looking into Musk's Twitter stake purchase and what that all entails going forward. Then we're going to be talking about, since it is Memorial Day weekend, we're going to be talking about cars and gas prices for Memorial Day weekend as well and how that's affecting both areas potentially. And then we have three articles we have to discuss all talking about inflation and how each one is reporting something different on inflation, how it can be a good thing or how it could be a bad thing. But most of it seems to be positive so with that being said like we always say start with this podcast i have to remind you all i am not a professional advisor in any way shape or form everything i talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only please go talk to your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions as everything i talk about in this podcast is for entertainment purposes and for those who are wishing to do a little bit of research on their own and be able to get information that's out there on the news with that being said guys let's begin with today's podcast. Analysis from Rutgers. A shortage persists. Reket tightens grip on U.S. baby formula market. From London, Rutgers. The U.S. baby formula crisis has boosted profits at Britain's Ben Ben Benkixer ben, ben and helped it grab its top spot in a 5.8 billion a year market. The challenge now will be to stay there. With the business reportedly up for sales, there's even more at stake. Reket has ramped up a production of its infamil formula since U.S. rival... Abbott Laboratories in February recalled dozens of products in the United States. After consumers complained of infants contracting bacterial infections, the British consumer goods company, which boasted formula production by 30% told Rudders last week, it's now accounted for more than 50% of total baby formula supply in the United States, up from around a third before the crisis. Parents tend to not switch brands their infants like a record spokesman said the company was hoping to hold on to customers it has gained, a productions such as Similac are off the shelves. The company said this week it was feeding 211,000 more babies than before the recall. The stakes are high. Reket has reported long been, been looking to sell the formula business to focus on higher margin household and consumer brands and range from Dettol disinfections to Duralex condoms. The Wall Street Journal said on Friday it's making a renewed sale attempt and could fetch around $7 billion but the boost from the U.S. crisis may not last long. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration said on May 19th, ABET was on track to reopen its key baby formula plant in Michigan within one or two weeks. Although FDA Commissioner Robert Califf told lawmakers a week later it would take until July before the store shelves across the country were filled. While well, Abbott recalled the persistence and opportunity for other firms such as Gerber Maker Nestle and NeoCape Maker uh, Danimum, it is Rekik that has been that is benefiting most as it's already number two to ABOT before the crisis. On April 1st, Barclays raised its 2022 organic sales forecast for Reckitt to 4.4%, from 4%, including an uplift to 7.4%, and 5.% percent to its nutrition division, which includes baby formula. Here's the thing okay, with ABOT Laboratories, we've talked about this. I think we had mentioned it would take two weeks for the plant to be up and running. And then it would take about six to eight weeks. So they're saying July, I think it's August or September by the time the shelves start being filled within the United States. The thing that also needs to be mentioned too as well is what if there is a slowdown in deliveries because there's not enough truckers currently right now as well. These are things that they're not currently talking about in this article, but it is other things to think about as well. Last thing we'll talk about is will it last for, for wreck it? On its own, the sales hike would result in increased profits, but margins have been further boosted by the United States, saying it will temporarily cover the cost of baby formula for low-income families dependent on government discounts in states contracted with Nestle and Reckett. Companies normally bid for state contracts to be the sole provider of baby formula for low-income families under the Women, Infants, and Child, or WIC program. In their bids, they offer a rebate in the form of discounts to other states. The government's intervention amid a and sensitizing firm to boost supplies effectively covers the rebate. So that's something interesting too. Maybe that's something that needs to be looked into as well. I mean, we know that there's three countries, I'm not three countries, three companies that control the baby market formula within the United States. I also wonder too, because it says companies normally bid for state contracts to be the sole provider of baby formula for low-income families under the WIC program. I remember the WIC program. I worked at Target for a bit. A lot of times people would come in with food stamps and the food stamps would say, you have to buy WIC products. And it, the biggest problem some of those people faced with food stamps is if the WIC products were sold out. Because normally we face it at Target in the egg department most of the time, at least at the store I was working at. Maybe this is one thing that help get more competition going. Potentially allow other companies to not get state contracts. Something to think about. I mean, that's a way of a virtual monopoly, is it not? That if a state controls the sole provider of baby formula for low income families under the WIC program, it says, like, it's like it says there, and their bids, they offer a rebate in the form of discounts to the states. So maybe this is not just a federal level issue. This might be a state issue with baby formula. Something to talk about with friends and family, guys. If you ever get into discussions about the baby formula issue, so. But at the end of the day, it's still going to be a while. I think, I mean, I expect a bot to get back on the top real fast. But who knows? Maybe parents want to be able to keep their kids on the same baby formula. Financially, uh, to end the article, quote, financially, it's great for both the top line and profitable because they don't need to give a rebate to the state government for selling formula. Bernstein analysis, Bruno Said it's probably will add at least twenty to thirty basis points of higher margins as long as at as long as it lasts. Sounds like there's monopolies in the making in these states when it comes to baby formula. That should be talked about more, but we'll talk about it here on this podcast since no one else will. <clears throat> Going forward now. US SEC looking into Musk Twitter stake purchase from Washington Rutters. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission's the SEC, is looking at a Tesla chief executive officer, Elon Musk, disclosure of a stake in Twitter in early April, according to a letter the agency sent out that month. In, that, in the letter, now made publicly by the SEC, the regulator asked Musk why it appears he did not file required paperwork within 10 days of his acquisition and also questioned why, when Musk did disclose his stake, he used a form meant for passive investors while he was openly questioning Twitter's policies around free speech. Specifically, the SEC asked Musk to explain why he opted to initial file a 10G disclosure form, which is meant for investors who plan to hold their shares passively instead of the 13D form, which is for activist investors who intend to influence management and policies of the company. He later amended the filing and Musk was offered a board seat shortly after his initial disclosure and has since gone on an attempt to buy the company outright in a $44 billion deal to take it private. Spokesperson for Musk did not immediately respond for a request for comment, and SEC spokesperson declined to comment. Separately, Twitter said in a filing Friday, it will not accept, sorry. Separately, Twitter said in a filing Friday, it was not accepting the resignation of Egon Durbin, a Musk ally for its board. Two days earlier, Twitter shareholders had blocked his reelection, but the company said it brought unparalleled operational knowledge of the industry, and instead he would reduce his board roles elsewhere outside experts have previously said musk late filing and apparent inappropriate paperwork could attract the attention of the sec which which which, which has spared with which has spared with musk in the past but the financial consequences of the world's richest man can be limited as fines such as missteps would likely rise to a few hundred thousand according to outside experts and others are skeptical it could endanger Musk's aff- efforts to acquire twitter quote i think it I think the form of the investigation standpoint, the SEC is going to have a pretty strong case that he violated security laws, said Josh White, a financial professor at Vanderbilt University, who previously worked at the SEC as a financial economics. However, he added, it would be disastrous if the SEC said, well, this Twitter deal is on hold because Musk filed the wrong form. Twitter stock price would instantly drop. I don't think the commission has intention in necessary stand in any way of the deal. I think at the end of the day, this is deal still going to be happening through. I mean, it just seems like this is all political rhetoric, I guess, at the end of the day. I mean, maybe Elon did something wrong. But it just seems like the news really hasn't stopped for Elon since his Twitter thing has started. And it doesn't seem like people want him to take over Twitter at the end of the day. I mean, Elon Musk is a proponent of free speech, And whoever controls the town square technically controls the flow of information. So, I mean, it's still a win-win for Elon and a lose-lose for Twitter at the end of the day, but we'll continue reporting this Twitter story as long as it keeps being reported. So now for the Memorial day stuff that's happening has to do with cars and gas Memorial day weekend car shopping is looking pretty bleak. Here's what to expect from CNBC. One of the best car shopping weekends pre-pandemic is more of a dud these days. Amid the auto industry manufacturing challenges due to persisting supply chain issue, Memorial Day sales are generally minimal to non-existent this year. Quote, it's looking pretty bleak to be straightforward about it, said Ivan Drury, senior manager of Insights for Edmonds. It's getting harder and harder for people to get a new car with the features they want and the prices they're willing to pay. The average amount paid for a new car is more than 45200 up 18.7% from a year ago. According to a joint forecast from JD Power and LMC Automotive, buyers are paying about $700 above sticker price on average, Drury said. At the same time, the average incentive offered by dealers has dropped to an all-time low at $1,034 compared to $2,996 a year ago. The JD Power LMC forecast, Generally speaking, dealers don't need to offer much in way of incentives to sell cars these days. In fact, despite the pace of sales being down 23.8% from a year ago, Due to the reduced inventory, the average per car profit at dealerships is $5,046, up from $2,733 a year ago. Quote, this elevated per unit profit level is more than offsetting the drop in sales volume, said Thomas King, president of JD Power Data Analytics division in the forecast. So, I mean, we've talked about this in the past. There's not as many cars currently out there. I mean, it's not surprising that they might be making a little bit more money because there's a supply and demand issue. And a lot of, obviously, resellers are going to be making a lot of money. And actually does talk about later on this article that resellers are being able to sell more because people are reselling their cars. But I mean, I was talking to someone who's in the car industry recently recently And they said that the way they do things in the united states is a little bit different than in europe i guess in the united states they pump in more cars whereas in europe they just manufacture like you order your car online and maybe that's where the business model is heading to hence why you can make more profits that way too but at the end of the day doesn't really matter i mean people are going to buy cars when they want to get cars so i mean people will order teslas in advance and tesla's making a ton of money off of just ordering cars ahead of time, so maybe Memorial Day won't be the the weekend of car selling anymore in the future. Continuing on about Memorial Day and and uh, prices of in the in the economy, it says record high Memorial Day gas prices are stinging consumers and impacting travel. Now I don't believe that at all because the last two days, at least since I've been driving around, it seems like there's less people on the road. I think a lot of people did leave out of town except for obviously me because I'm doing this podcast today, but says here the Memorial day holiday weekend marks the start of the summer driving season and already drivers are limiting their trips due to record gas line prices and are expected to go even higher. The national average for unled gasoline is now $4 and 59 per gallon, just below the record of $4 and 60. That's an increase of 40% so far this year and well above the last year's $3 and four cents per gallon level. According to AAA by the July 4th holiday, More states could be seeing an average price of $5 per gallon, analysis say. Quote, I don't think as many people are going to hit the road as they do. I think a good portion are going to be staying close to home, said Patrick DeHaan, head of petroleum analysis at GasBuddy. There definitely should be a noticeable bump, but my impression is people are not driving as far. The concern is high prices are keeping people a little closer. There's also work from home that changes things. There's a strong subset of people that can basically work from the road all the time. The upcoming holiday weekend is expected to be the busiest for travel in two years, but driving should be below 2019 levels. AAA experts, 39.2 million people in total, will travel 50 miles or more this weekend, an increase of 8.3% from over last year. Of that, they're expected to be 4.6% more drivers on the road during the three-day weekend. The number is still down 7.2% from 2019. Across the U.S., prices vary widely with a high of $6.07 per gallon average in California and $4.13 a gallon in Georgia. As high prices impact consumers, analysts say there's they will not fill up their vehicles as often and that reduced demand could act to curb the pace of further price increases. No, 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 no. no. Price increases are gonna keep happening because there's not as much oil being drilled currently right now. Not much demand. People still have to come back to work on Tuesday. Price is still, demand's still gonna be there. Expensive gasoline has already caused people to cut back on driving. Government data shows consumers use about 8.8 million barrels a day on gasoline on average over the past four weeks, down from 9.1 million in the same period last year. Yeah, that's not that's gonna probably increase more because of the fact that we gotta use AC during the summer because it's going to probably be a hot summer and potentially the rolling blackouts is gonna make things even worse probably in my opinion. Says on later on, based on that, there's definitely demand dis- destruction. He said, of talking about the demand for oil, it, it's just ridiculous. Gas prices are probably going to continue going up, and, and I don't expect this holiday to change anything at all with that. So, it's insane. I mean, I guess comment below if you guys want to tell us how much you paid for gas, if you guys are listeners of this podcast. I mean, it will give us an idea of how gas prices really are since they don't like to really tell us the whole story of what's happening. So last thing we'll talk about today, the Fed's favorite inflation measure rose 4.9% April. It is a sign that price increases could be slowing. The Federal Reserve preferred inflation gauge rose 4.9% April from a year ago. A still elevated level of non-lethless indicated that price pressure could be easing a bit the Commerce Department reported Friday. That increase in the core personal consumption expenditures price index was in line with expectations and reflected a slowing pace from the 5.2%, 5.2% reported in March. The number excludes uh, volatile food and energy prices that have been a major contributor to inflation running around a 40-year peak. The 0.3% increase on a monthly basis was the same as March and in line with Dow Jones estimates, the monthly gain was held back by declining decline in energy prices during the April has since reversed. Including food and energy headlines, PCE increased 6.3% in April from a year ago. That also was a, de- a declaration from the 6.6 pace in the previous month. However, the month change showed a more marked pullback with an increase of just 0.2% compared to 0.9% surge in March. The data showed that customers continue to spend but we're tapping into their savings to do so. They're also tapping into credit cards as well. We've talked about this in a past podcast that people are using savings and credit card debt right now to to be able to keep their lifestyle somewhat the same. Consumers remained undaunted by inflation last month. That's not true either. We've talked about this. Strongly increasing spending and changing their mix to more serious such as bars and restaurants and travel and recreation as as the weather warms, said Robert Frick. Corporate economics at the Naval Federal Credit Union. The spending was fluid in part by higher wages and the Americans drawing more money out of savings, which is a giant stockpile of at least $2 trillion. I don't believe the American people have as much in savings as they keep thinking they are, especially when we've read in the past that when when apparently the Americans were shrugging off inflation from CNBC about a few weeks back, I believe it was that article, it had mentioned that they were using credit card debt as well, along with savings. I don't believe this article. It's, it's just insane. This ties into another article from Reuters saying that cooling U.S. inflation builds case for September slowdown and Fed rate hikes. Evidence U.S. inflation is cooling will not budge Federal Reserve policymakers from half a point interest hikes planned for upcoming meetings in June and July. But many prompt a shift to smaller rate hikes come September if the trend continues. A U.S. Commerce Department reported on Friday showing that the personnel consumption expenditures, the price index rose 6.3% April from a year earlier. That is still more than three times the Fed's 2% target. While prices are still rising, the pace of the rise has slowed versus the previous month. April's PCE reading marked the first deceleration, the measurement since November of 2020. The core PCE index, which strips out food and energy prices to give a clearer read of more persistent price Pressures rose 4.9% again, far too high for comfort, but marking a second straight month for moderation from what has been peaked in February, 5.3%. I think we just have contradictions on themselves from CNBC and Rudders. Yeah, it says here, the Federal Reserve preferred inflation raise 4.9%, which we just talked about in April from a year ago. And it says that the increase in core personal consumption expenditures price index was in line with expectations and reflected a slowing pace of 5.2%. Reported in March. So Reuters is saying that the core index strip energy foods, persistent price, again, far too high comfort, but marking a second straight month of moderation. (laughs) These people don't know what they're talking about half of the time. And And granted, I don't know what I'm talking about half of the time either. I just report what's on the news, but it makes it sound like they're trying to say this is a good thing. I mean, come on, people when are we going to wake up and realize there's some issues in the making uh, I, okay continuing with the, the article the decline of core inflation is practically good news for central news for the central bank along with fresh evidence that household spending continues to grow despite the still fast rising prices friday's report showed consumer spending rose 0.9% last month. Quote, while inflation levels are in the 4% range are still too high for the Fed, we are seeing movement in the right direction. Nationwide Economics Dan Haddon wrote in a note, as long as inflation continues to stabilize or moderize, it will likely give the Fed more flexibility later this year. The Fed has lifted interest rates through quarters of a percentage point so far this year, and most policymakers expect to deliver a couple more half a percentage point rate hike recent public comments and a record on their May meeting show that would bring overnight bank to bank borrowing costs to the range of 1.75% to 2% by the end of July. Anticipation of these rate hikes already appeared to be taking a bit out of demand in the housing market. where prices have soared but sharply increased in mortgage rates helped push down home sales for the sixth straight month in April. Okay, they're, they're, they're virtually being It sounds like they're just trying to say things are looking good currently right now. I'm not an expert, like I've said. The Fed is very confusing at times. And I mean, the more I read about them, the more I try to understand them and the more I do. But sometimes they just talk a lot of nonsense. Last thing, we'll talk about inflation though. Goldman says sign that inflation is peaking could be positive for stocks. I don't know if peak inflation is a good thing to be talking about but we're going to talk about this anyway. Signs that inflation is at least starting to adapt from a 40-year high could be positive for stocks, according to Goldman Sachs. Market Rally Friday as a government report showed that pace of inflation slowed a bit in April, primarily due to falling gas prices, but also from other factors that at least suggest the run-up was cooling. Goldman analysis said history indicates the market will react positively when inflation shows signs of peaking. Quote, the market usually falls into the run-up to the peak in headline inflation just as we've seen in recent months. A team analysis led by Sharon Bell said in a note, but after the peaks, there's little more variance, and on average, the market does recover. In 13 inflation runs since 1951, the market was higher 12 months later, nine times. The biggest gain was 33.2% increase from March of 1980 top. The worst was 17.3% decline from the January 2001 peak a time when the market languished after the dot-com bubble popped. Quote, in truth, the peak in inflation might be helpful, but equities really need other support, especially if investors fear a sharp downturn, Goldman's team wrote. Key components need to boost market momentum include a strong economy, low valuations, and falling interest rates. All those issues presented a challenge in the current environment. The economy contracted a 1.5% annualized rate in the first quarter, Stock market valuations have come down significantly, but remain just above their their 10-year average. And interest rates are on the rise, though bond yields are off their highs. October of 1990 was positive in three regards and saw a 29.1% increase in the S&P 500 over a year. A very different setup from the one we have today, Goldman said. Markets also drew encouragement this week from the Federal Reserve minutes from the policy meeting earlier this month indicated that officials are willing to re-examine the pace of interest rate hikes later this year. But they also noted that possibility of rates going into a restrictive level amid a slowing economy. The Goldman strategy said the picture of Europe and U.S. is similar. The firm reiterated its positive outlook on European stocks with strong balance sheets, high and stable profit margin, and companies benefit from rising capital expenditures. The government investment Goldman is still cautious on consumer stocks, even when the potential for falling inflation. Okay. I've never been around for this. And obviously I have to take their word for it currently right now, but I think it's kind of weird that they've been keeping track of this since 1950 with inflation. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think inflation is a good thing at the end of the day. I think a lot of people are going to be hurt by this. And the fact that they're saying that, oh, inflation is going to be good for stocks once there's peak inflation if that means there's peak inflation come later this year, that means inflation's not done growing. At least if we understand what Goldman's talking about here right now. I mean, they they're claiming right now that let's see, they 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 think peak inflation's coming, but they don't say when. I don't think inflation's done peaking. I think inflation's gonna keep growing at the rate that things are going. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, they just send forty billion dollars to Ukraine. That's more printing of money who knows how much more they're going to send. And we also got to be able to know too that at least in my opinion, I think we're going to end up sending more money to the Middle East and Africa soon because there's supposed to be a crisis there for food and energy potentially sure there because you they get most of their food from Ukraine and Russia and Ukraine's not planting as much currently right now. So hang in there guys. I, think peak infla- I don't think peak inflation's here. I think inflation is going to keep growing a little bit more. And we're gonna be feeling across the nation potentially. I mean the other thing too, remember Coca-Cola. If we talk if we talked about this a few months back, Coca-Cola is using reusable bottles in Africa in order to curb their inflation issues. Usually companies have a better idea of inflation. I don't think banks have a better understanding of inflation before that happens. So because companies that actually sell products have to be able to get ahead of the curb unless they start losing profit margins. So yeah. That's everything for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I know it's a little bit slower than normal, but you got to remember on Friday, it was Memorial Day weekend and there wasn't a whole lot of news to be able to report, at least in my research. So I'm hoping things will get back on track sometime this week. Who knows? But with that being said, guys, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, I ask that you please like and subscribe to this podcast and be able to share this podcast video with friends and family so we can continue to keep growing this podcast and be able to keep talking about events that are happening on Wall Street so that we can get the news out there to people since they don't always... Always talk about everything that's happening. With that being said, guys, thank you for listening to today's podcast. Thank you and goodbye.